You're listening to Teaching from Midtown Fellowship, a Jesus-centered family on mission in Columbia, South Carolina. If you're interested in finding out more about us, our family of churches, or how to partner with us, go to midtowncolumbia.com. church family. Good to be with you today, even if we're scattered about across our city. If we haven't met before, my name is Tim. I'm on staff at Midtown Downtown as a church planter, getting ready to be sent out with a wonderful group of folks to plant a church called Citizens Church in the city of Charlotte. If you're thinking to yourself, this is a pretty crazy time to plant a church. Well, you would be thinking correctly. A global pandemic and a corresponding economic crisis is less than ideal for trying to get new jobs and find new places to live. Social distancing is not ideal for meeting our neighbors and tell them about Jesus. So all of this feels like it's even crazier than church planning is when this is not going on. But we believe the Lord has called us to this. And so we're excited about some of the stuff that, that he's already doing, even in the midst of COVID and all of our, our different things that we have going on. So we've actually been able to go online with Zoom, like a lot of our life groups. We, we're meeting throughout the week. We're, we're worshiping together on Sundays. And we've actually seen a really big blessing from this. We had a group of people in Charlotte that were waiting on us to get up there and get groups and all of that rolling. And so they've actually been able to jump in with us and get involved and become part of our church family right away. And so even in the midst of all this craziness, we're excited and we're celebrating together. And we thank you for your prayers uh, during this time as we take steps forward in faith. We're kicking off a new series today that we'll be in for the next few months, digging in together to the book of First Timothy. And I'm so excited to get to sit in a book of the Bible together, to get to read it together, to get to study it in depth over the next 12 weeks. We have a ton of resources that I hope you'll take advantage of with our scripture reading plan and our prayer prompts and our midweek podcast and all of that as we kind of dive into what God has for us in this book. The book of First Timothy is one of three books of the Bible often lumped together and known as the pastoral epistles. So it's First and Second Timothy and Titus. And they're written by Paul to two different pastors, Timothy and Titus. And while they're instructions for pastors, they're actually much larger than that. They're instructions for churches. Paul is writing to churches to teach them what it means to be the church. In fact, the goal behind the writing of First Timothy and really our goal for our series can actually be found midway through the book. This is 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 and 15. Let me read it to you. The Apostle Paul writes, I hope to come to you soon, but I am writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God. In other words, Paul says, I'm writing this letter so that the church knows what it means to be the church. The church is quite simply the people of God. The Greek term for it is ekklesia, which means basically the called out gathered ones. Those who put their faith in Jesus are called out of the kingdom of darkness, out of the world, out of their old ways of living and thinking and being in relationship with others, their old ways of viewing their time and their money and their possessions, all of that. They're called out and set apart to be holy and blameless before God. But not only are they called out, they're also gathered together. They're gathered together into the family, the, the household and the kingdom of God. God is taking us from one place to another. He's making us into his people, into his bride, into his church. So God establishes, God brings together his people into his church. So Paul is writing this letter saying, this is what the church should be. This is how the church lives out this called out identity Together. Now, it might feel strange or sound strange or a bit ironic to spend this time, this moment, talking about the church. 
In some ways, you might feel more disconnected or isolated from the church than you ever have before. It might seem strange to, to dive in and dig deep into a whole book outlining how the church should function and live and be in relationship with one another. But we believe and we say all the time that the church is more than just a building that you come to or an event that you attend, but it's a family. It's the people of God that you belong to. But I wanna show us, notice specifically how Paul refers to the church at the end of verse 15. He says, the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. The church is a pillar and a, a buttress or a foundation of the truth. It's a, it's a place where notice the truth, absolute truth is held up and revered and studied and taught and applied. And as we're gonna see today in chapter one, where the truth is fought for and defended. That's what Paul addresses here in 1 Timothy chapter one. So I want us to keep verses 14 and 15 of chapter three in the back of our minds. This idea that the church is the called out people of God that should be a foundation of the truth. And I want us to turn together to chapter one, verse one. Paul writes, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by command of God our savior and of Christ Jesus our hope. To Timothy, my true child in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. As I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus. All right, so pause there. So here you have Paul, and Paul is writing to Timothy. Timothy is one of Paul's disciples. They did ministry together. They planted churches together. And one of the churches they planted was the church in Ephesus. You're actually going to read this story this week in your scripture reading plan. It's a, it's a wild story. There are exorcisms and riots and false teaching, all this craziness, how the church of Ephesus gets started. And at some point during Paul's travels, he's either sent or left Timothy at Ephesus to pastor the church there. Now he's writing to him, giving him instructions for the church, and he's telling him to stay put. And here's why. He says, remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine, nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies, which promote speculations rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith. Skip with me to verse six. Certain persons, by swerving from these, have wandered away into vain discussion, desiring to be teachers of the law without understanding either what they are saying or the things about which they make confident assertions. In other words, Paul says, Timothy, I need you to stay put so that you can defend the truth and tell false teachers in Ephesus to sit down and be quiet. I want you to imagine this scene with me. So Paul writes this letter to Timothy, but it would have been read in front of the entire church at Ephesus. So Timothy, as the pastor, gets up in front of the church, most likely meeting in a room not much bigger than the living room you're sitting in right now. People sitting around, excited they got a letter from Paul. And Paul says, hey, it's me, Paul, Timothy, good to see you. You're great, grace, mercy, peace from Jesus. Now we gotta deal with these false teachers. Paul so understands and believes what he's gonna say in chapter 3, 14, and 15, that the church is a fortress of the truth, that he wastes no time getting right to the point. He does a quick greeting and then boom, he starts out swinging. He says, listen, there are people in the church, certain persons, as he calls them, and they're teaching false doctrines and they need to be addressed. He says, charge them. It's the Greek word for command. He says, command them, let them know, hey, this false teaching, this false doctrine, it's not going to be tolerated. This is not okay. This is the church of the living God. We teach the truth. We believe the truth. We fight for and defend 
the truth. In fact, this is such a big deal that while Paul starts out calling them certain persons, he actually comes back around at the end of chapter one. He's actually gonna call them out by name. Look at it with me. 1 Timothy 1, verse 18. He says, this charge I entrust to you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you may wage the good warfare, holding faith and a good conscience. By rejecting this, some have made shipwreck of their faith, among whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. Paul says, in case you all were looking around wondering who I'm talking about, it's these two. Hymenaeus and Alexander, you can just feel the awkward glares that would have happened in the middle of this room. These guys, those guys have rejected the truth. Now here in chapter one, and we'll talk about this more next week, the false teaching they were dealing with specifically had to do with aspects of Jewish fables and stories and genealogies of ancient Israelite kings. This is where Paul says myths and endless genealogies. This is probably not the stuff you're sitting around thinking about or talking about or reading about during your quarantine, right? You're probably not sitting there reading up these long lists of ancient Israelite kings. That's not the false teaching that we are pressed with every day. But you and I, all of us, we deal with and face false teaching and false teachers all of the time. I'm not talking about that random person on the street corner yelling gibberish or that late night televangelist. I'm talking about each and every day we are faced with, we are bombarded with lies and deceit. Things that might even sound really good at first, but are actually contrary to the truth of God and his word. We deal with this all the time. In fact, I would argue that false teaching and false doctrine and false teachers are more of a problem today than they were for the church at Ephesus. And I think this because of the phone in your pocket and the laptop you're probably watching this on right now. You see, in first century Ephesus, in order for the church to hear false teaching, someone had to physically stand up and say words, right? You had to actually gather together and be in the same space and say things. For you and I, we don't have to go somewhere to hear someone say some false teaching. We have access to that on our phones, on our laptops, on our TVs, any scroll through Instagram, any Netflix show that we watch, any podcast Christian or not, any song on Spotify, any book that we order on Amazon, all of this is preaching to us. Every type of media you consume, every conversation you have is preaching a sermon to you. It's telling you a story about life and where the good life is found or not found. It's telling you a story about God and who he is or or what he is or who he's like or what he's not like. It tells you a story about the world, how the world should be or shouldn't be. We're constantly hit on every side with false teaching and false teachers telling us what we should think and what we should believe and how we should live. Without even realizing it, it creeps into our hearts and our minds and it creeps into our church, which is supposed to be a foundation for the truth. Look what happened by the false teaching here in Ephesus. Go back to verse 19. Paul says, by rejecting this, some made shipwreck of their faith. And not only that, but we actually read Paul addressing Hymenaeus again in 2 Timothy chapter two, where we read that his false teaching is not only shipwrecking his faith, but it's actually spreading, Paul says, spreading like gangrene. He uses gangrene, this analogy to talk about what false teaching does in the church. Gangrene, this little bacteria that gets into infections. So what happens is it starts small and it might be a little infection in your arm or in your leg, but if you don't take care of it right away, it spreads rapidly and it threatens your life. 
So often what happens is you get a gangrene infection, you have to get that limb amputated. You have to cut it off and go to a drastic measure because it will spread and get in the way of you living. It has to be dealt with quickly and decisively. And Paul says that's what false teaching does to the church. This is what lies and wrong doctrine does to the church. This is what deceitful ideas that sound good on the surface, but are actually contrary to the truths of God and his scriptures. This is what they do to the church. It's a disease. And even though it starts small, just a little bit here and there, it spreads and spreads and spreads and it disrupts and it threatens the life of the church. Paul says it has to be amputated, has to be cut off, it has to be dealt with. But if I, if I had to guess to our 21st century, modern American minds, what's going on in this passage sounds a little bit overblown, right? If we're being honest, I mean, Paul, really? Calling him out by name? Putting him on blast before everyone? Uh, I want you to put yourself in their shoes, right? So imagine a year from now, you've sent us out to plant Citizens Church in Charlotte. And you hear about that there's some false teaching and there's some false teachers that have become a part of our church plan. And so you find out that some of your pastors at Midtown have written me an email. They say, hey, Tim, we want this email read in front of the entire church. And in that email, they call out by name both those false teachers and that false teaching. They say, hey, Tim, tell these people to stop. Command them to sit down and be quiet and stop spreading this falsity. Exactly how Paul handles it here. I think if we're thinking correctly, we might be tempted to think things like, well, how close-minded can they be? Right? You, you would just go and shame them like this? You're, you're shaming them. Or maybe, come on, no need to argue over semantics. Let's just love people. Like, why you got to nitpick over that little issue or that little thing? Like, let's just love. Why would you just call them out? Let's just, let's just love. Paul takes these two men and these false teachers and he puts them on blast in front of the entire church, calls them out by name. He just told Timothy to go on the offensive, to not sit back, but actually go on the offensive, to command them to stop. We think, come on, Paul, just let it go. Just love, man. But here's what you have to understand. The truth is worth fighting for because the church is worth fighting for. Remember chapter three, verse 15. This is the church of the living God. This is God's church. This is God's family. These are the ransomed people of God that Jesus took on flesh for, that he entered into humanity for, that he bore their sin, took their punishment, died the death that they deserved. These are the people of Jesus purchased for himself by his blood. So if it's God's church, if we're God's people, that means we're supposed to be conformed more and more into the people that God calls us to be. We're to believe what he tells us to believe. We're to think how he tells us to think. We're to live as he tells us to live. We're supposed to be shaped more and more into the image of Jesus. As we say, we wanna be with Jesus and we want to become like Jesus. Not more than anything else is to be a people of love. That's what truth leads to. Truth leads to being a people of love. Let's look back together at 1 Timothy 1.5, that verse we skipped over earlier. This is what Paul says. He says, the aim of our charge, our charge, our teaching, our correction, our defending and fighting for the truth, the aim of our charge is love. Love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. This is what we're called to as the people of God. What does it mean to be a Christian? What does it mean to trust in Jesus? What does it mean to follow Jesus? It means to be a person of love, who loves God and loves others. 
love and not some feeling or emotion of love, not some fleeting thing, but a choice of sacrificial love towards God and towards our neighbor. Love that is modeled after the person of Jesus. Love that serves others instead of serving ourselves. Love that seeks the good of others rather than our own good. Love that works to help those around us look more and more like Jesus. Paul says that's the aim of the truth. That's the aim of our charge, our instruction, our teaching. And and that's our aim. That's the aim of our teaching and our instruction and all of the resources, all the Bible reading plans and all of the different things that we do. The aim of all of that is to grow us and to mature us to be a people of love, that love God deeply and that love others. Truth and love go hand in hand. But what's happened is that we've created a false dichotomy between love and truth. We've created a world in which we think it has to be one or the other. So you can't be loving and defend the truth at the same time. Right, because to us, defending the truth means you're probably a jerk. And we overwhelmingly have a culture that values its definition of love and inclusivity at the expense of absolute truth. So we hear what happened in 1 Timothy, how Paul calls these guys out by name in front of the whole church, tells Timothy to command them to stop spreading lies. And we are, chances are, we're more upset about the fact that people are being called out and told to stop than we are about the fact that they're spreading lies and deception that is hurting the people of God. When we talk about confronting false teachers, you might think, that doesn't matter. Let's just go love people. Forget about that stuff. That'd be unloving to tell them they're wrong. But Paul is saying, Timothy, I need you to confront those false teachers so that we can go love. Defending the truth is an act of love when false teaching is wrecking the faith of the people of God. Don't create a false dichotomy in your head. Don't believe the lie that defending truth and being people of love are separate. What Paul's saying is actually the complete opposite. The aim of right teaching and right doctrine and defending the truth is that we will grow into a people of love. That's the whole point. That's the whole goal. You can't separate the two. Lies have to be called out and uprooted and truth must be defended so we can learn what is right and cling to what is right and cling to what is good and grow up into maturity as the followers of God that we're called to be as a people of love. In other words, the church is to be a pillar of truth stewarded in such a way that we grow up into lives of love. You can't grow up into the type of love God calls you to unless you're willing to fight for and defend right doctrine because right doctrine leads to right hearts, which leads to right loves. Paul's saying to Timothy, don't ignore false teaching and just worry about love. He says correct false teaching so that we can grow up into love. If we're not careful to defend the truth, to fight for the truth, to value the truth, it shipwrecks all of this. Because right doctrine leads to right hearts, which leads to right living, but the opposite is also true. False teaching lives to false living. False teaching leads to false living. If you believe a lie, eventually you're going to start living out that lie. If you believe a falsehood, eventually you'll start living out that falsehood. Let me just give you a few examples of this. So if we don't learn to fight for the truth and fight against the lie that we should just do our own thing and look out for ourselves and, and cut out negative people out of our lives, we will not grow up into a people of love. We'll be crushed by apathy and self-security instead of being a people that learn to give our lives away for others. People that learn to value others more than ourselves, that bend to help the person in need, that give of our time and money and possessions to help and to serve. 
If we don't learn to fight against the lie that we are, we're born as pretty good people, right? And anything bad we choose to do is because of some bad in our past, bad parenting, bad friends, whatever. The lie that we are, are born as good people with all good intentions and good deeds, and it's only our circumstances to blame for our wrongs. If we don't learn to fight against that lie, we won't grow up into a people of love. Because growing into a person of love requires believing the truth of the gospel, which is that all of us are sinners separated from God. But that's the good news that Jesus meets us there. He goes to the cross for sinners, that we would be forgiven and washed clean and made new. So if we can't own our sin before a holy God, we can't receive the goodness of the gospel. Give you one more. If we don't fight against the lie that everything in our lives should revolve around our kids, we won't grow up into a people of love. We won't learn to prioritize the spiritual health of our families and our church family over the next activity or class or sports practice. We'll cater to their every whim and every emotion instead of actually loving them in a way that provides for them and cares for them, but also works to grow them up to be flourishing members of society that love God and love others and work for the common good. I could go on and on and on, false teaching, false ideas, these lies start small and they creep in and they keep us from what God has called us to, which is to be a people of love. So in this series, we're gonna talk about some uncomfortable stuff. We're gonna talk about gender roles. We're gonna talk about authority and what role it plays in the church. We're gonna talk about wealth and money. And it might feel like, man, why are we talking about all this stuff? We are literally in the middle of a global pandemic. Why are we nitpicking over this stuff right now? But the goal is not to pick fights or just to say things for the sake of saying things. The goal is not to create arguments and see how many emails we can get every week. The goal behind this series is because we believe what the Bible teaches here, that the church is the household and family of God. And we're called as the family of God to be built up in love to mature in our faith and grow in love for God and love for others. And that actually flows out of and requires defending and teaching the truth, right doctrine, right teaching. So in order for us to mature as a church, to be people of love, we must defend the truth. The truth must be held onto and proclaimed. The church, what we're gonna spend 12 weeks talking about, this is God's means to spread his kingdom. Nothing can stop it, not even a pandemic. God cares about his church. And the more we learn to love what God loves, to hold fast to and defend his truth, the more his kingdom will be made known in our cities, in Columbia and in Charlotte and wherever he calls us. Let's pray together. Father God, we are so grateful that even separate and apart, we can still worship you. You are near to us. God, thank you for your word. Thanks for First Timothy that we're gonna dive into together over the next 12 weeks. Would you help us be a people of truth? Help us to be a people that defend the truth and fight for the truth because it's through truth and believing what you have called us to believe that we grow up into being a people of love. So we want for ourselves, we want for our life groups, we want for our church to be a people of love that love you and love our neighbor. Thanks for who you are. Thanks for Jesus on the cross. Pray all these things in Jesus' name, amen.